Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Hi, Genre Junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. Producer Stitches is trying to run off with the router. So, yeah, we got we got her. <laughs> Good thing we're not streaming live, because I think she would disconnect the cable. I think she would. So, clearly, she's trying to sabotage this episode. I don't know what this has to do. Some sort of a hostile takeover. Should we blame our very long break on the cat, too? No, that's not the cat's fault. We got sick. <laughs> so, Consecutively. Yeah, and so then we were like, I and mean, you can't really like if you have like a really froggy throat it's very hard to record yes so um if everything goes according to plan this should be going out on april 26th sounds about right so uh if you're listening to it on april 26th then uh yay everything went according to plan everything's back on track what problem there's no problem so in today's episode we're going to be talking about very very highly discussed book the atlas six by Olivia Blake. Um, this book is a viral sensation, um, which I mean, it's, it's, I'm happy as a book lover and, you know, that books can be viral. Like, I love that. That makes me like so thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the, the, it's one of the main reasons behind our appeal score is trying to trying to guess what things should or could go viral, uh, especially when we go with mass appeal. Uh, it's exciting when things get get popular. It is exciting. So before we talk about uh, the Atlas Six, did you have anything you wanted to share with the class? Um, no, not much. I mean, we've. <laughs> Like, like we said, we've been uh, progressively sick, taking care of each other, taking care of of ourselves. Um, we did watch the complete uh, 10 episodes of Our Flag Means Death. Which, uh, if you haven't watched it, listener, you have to get on that. You're making a mistake. You it's, need to watch that show. It's worth the literal price of admission for HBO Max. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pirates. In, in cr- pirates. Funny times. It's really, really, I cannot stress this enough, really good. Okay, so that's our recommendation. It's a joint family <laughs> recommendation today. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about the Atlas Six, book one of the Atlas series of we don't know how many books. Um, I, I don't know if this is going to be a duology, a trilogy, a eight book series i haven't looked into it enough to be honest i don't know either so we're just kind of along for the ride it's certainly going to be more than one yeah yeah definitely let me tell you about it the alexandrian society caretakers of lost knowledge from the greatest civilizations of antiquity are the foremost secret society of magical academics in the world those who earn a place among the alexandrians will secure a life of wealth power and prestige beyond their wildest dreams and each decade 
only the six most uniquely talented magicians are selected to be considered for initiation. Enter the latest round of six, Libby Rhodes and Nico de Verona, unwilling halves of an unfathomable whole, also exert uncanny control over every element of physicality. Reina Morai, a naturalist who can intuit the language of life itself. Parissa Kamali, a telepath who can traverse the depths of the unconscious, navigating worlds inside the human mind. Colum Nova, an empath easily mistaken for a manipulative illusionist who can influence the intimate workings of a person's inner self. Finally, there is Tristan Kane, who can see through illusions to a new structure of reality, an ability so rare that neither he nor his peers can fully grasp its implications. When the candidates are recruited by the mysterious Atlas Blakely, they are told they will have one year to qualify for initiation, during which time they will be permitted preliminary access to the society's archives and judged based on their contributions to various subjects of impossibility, time and space, luck and thought, life and death. Five, they are told, will be initiated. One will be eliminated. The six potential initiates will fight to survive the next year of their lives, and if they can prove themselves to be among their rivals... Most of them will. Most of them. Well, I'll start with my experience score. And this book was purely an obsession. I woke up in the middle of the night to read passages from this book and continue on what was going on. Wow. The the theming of this book, it's not the same, but it's the first book since uh, Lev Grossman's The Magicians that made me feel that kind of adult magic mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. With adult problems and adult characters, yes, um, it's really it's really well written. Um, the prose is fantastic, and I, I also uh, about half of this uh, I experienced in audiobook form. Oh yeah, how was that? Um, it's interesting. So ev- so the the book is made up of multiple characters, and uh, each chapter is has the the uh, perspective of a different character. Mm-hmm. And they went the route of actually hiring a cast of readers cool. for this, which range from very good to incredible castings. The only thing that I'll say is that it is weird when there's shared characters between the chapters and they end up being voiced by a different person in every chapter. <laughs> I can see what you mean by for, that. Just for example, um, one of the characters, Atlas, um, you know, the titular Atlas Six, mm-hmm. you know, is in many of the chapters and is described from the point of view of multiple characters. And and so there's like, there's six different voices for Atlas, depending on whose perspective you're in. Right. It's an interesting choice. I'm not sure it would have, I'm not sure it would have been right to go the audio drama route where every character had a different voice throughout all of the chapters, but mm-hmm. it can be a little bit difficult. Yeah, I kind of would think so, too. Um, Okay, so I'm glad you brought up The Magicians because it's so funny. This book is nothing like The Magicians, and it's also a lot like The Magicians. Um, We're huge fans of that series by Lev Grossman. Huge, huge fans. Those books were just... (sighs) Formative. I mean, formative. Yeah, I mean, I love them. And this has a lot of the same vibes it is it does have humor but it's not like nearly as funny and kind of um mm-hmm. absurd and stuff um 
there's the dark academia thing and dark academia is huge and buzzy right now and everybody wants like a dark academia aesthetic and you know that it's kind of a th- it's kind of a thing um so i can see why this book has skyrocketed in popularity um there's so much to love about it i i found it in intense page turner is how i would put it i'm not quite obsessed but um i i truly enjoyed reading it and couldn't stop reading it like i was just very excited to see where everything was going there's a lot of high concept stuff going on and they put it pretty squarely in the description there but it's kind of like okay so you have a character who can like see through like reality and you know it's like a little oh okay you know it's it's some high concept stuff in there it's it's magic uh in in the way of x-men in some respects where it seems like everybody has their own little specialties and their own powers yeah there is magic in this world and that's a known thing and some people are witches but it's not the same as like having magic like how our six do. Yeah. Something that scratches an itch is there's a there's a, almost a a science fictiony aspect to it. There's a lot of their studies uh have a scientific approach to them. Mm-hmm. It's not science fiction in that oh this could actually happen or based on real scientific principles, but right. it's approached the, the it's approached as, almost as if the magicians are scientists, and yeah. that really scratched an itch for me. Right, it's um, and it's an acad, it's an academic approach, and I guess for me, it didn't read like how it did a science to you, but kind of that academia focus, you know, where there's like you study and you approach every question and everything you're learning from a truly academic perspective. Um, What's interesting is we know Libby and uh, Verona, (laughs) as he's called, they're recent college graduates, Mm -hmm. and they're significantly younger than a lot of the other characters in the book. I'm not sure. They didn't really give us ages for people, which is fine, but it's kind of interesting to see, you know, these are like the young kids right out of college, and then there's the ones who've been living in the world and honing and or in some cases trying to deny their skills. Yeah. I think it's a nice bridge to for for those who are used to a, a more of a YA approach to magical realism. Um there's nothing YA about this series in no. my opinion. No. But having that that younger voice, having that 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 bright-eyed, bushy-tailed um point of view mm-hmm. i think at, serves as a really strong bridge to those who are not necessarily uh accustomed to adult magical realism yeah um i think that olivia who wrote this book um olivia blake she is so talented and what an amazing author um i just absolutely love her brain i love her way she writes characters i love the way she thinks about a story i agree um the 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 prose in particular Mm -hmm. it's very beautiful there's a there's a uh, a poshness to it Mm -hmm. uh that again kind of scratched an itch it's very proper Mm -hmm. um it's befitting an academic setting perhaps yes yeah um so because they're kind of 
based on this Western academic model, there's a lot to do with like ancient Greece and Rome, which I absolutely love, of course. Any Greco-Roman illusion um, fills my heart with such joy. Uh, the Alex- the Library of Alexandria is a fabled, you know, thing at this point, and it's 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 taken on, you know, this much bigger life of its own and mythos to like the point it is in our book now, where it's like all of the knowledge is like housed here, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of responsibility and it's very dangerous incredibly you know and there's the catchphrase of the book is knowledge is carnage mm. and i think that's um that pretty much hits the nail on the head <laughs> so something i want to say about this as well if you're looking to get into it um you know i'm not going to spoil anything in this respect but this is definitely uh something that you you need to be prepared to go at least two books in uh i don't know if the second book is out yet is not but um this is clearly this is clearly the at least the first half to a story um i will go ahead and say in this section i did find myself to be a little bit disappointed with the final act of this book i i feel like really i yes really um, I'll go into more details in the spoiler section, but there were things that I found to be disappointing. Um, it didn't have the climax that I was kind of expecting with a story like this. And, uh, I think that that's, I, I have faith because of how well it's written and how well the world is realized that, uh, the second book is going to give me some of that satisfaction. I have to disagree on that. Um, I greatly enjoyed the last act of this book. Um, And to avoid spoilers, we'll talk about it in the spoilers section. But I was very pleased. Very, very pleased. So if this was the if this was the last if this suddenly was the last book of the series, do you, would you find yourself uh, satisfied? Well, no, of course not, because it's definitely written to be there's more story to be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely um the a, a cliffhanger, you know, because there's more to know. Um what is your audience for this book? I'm going to give this a broad score. Um despite how popular this has been, how much of a of a, of a huge, you know, of a huge moment this book is having, I think that this is firmly for anyone who is a regular reader. Um particularly anybody who has any experience with fantasy or fantasy realism or even a little bit of sci-fi. Basically, if you are an avid reader, this is the book for you. I, I'm hesitant to give it a mass appeal book because I think people who do read the one book a year, two books a year, I don't know if this book is going to sink its teeth into those readers. I I have to disagree by by just like the evidence we had you know we don't always have evidence <laughs> on our books and this one we have we have some receipts the tag hashtag the atlas six has literally millions of views on tiktok it's this has been explosive and i'm thrilled to death about it because even if i didn't like the book which i do i would just be so happy that so many people are reading so with the receipts in mind i'm st- i'm straddling into mass appeal i really am because it's like fan i think it's just fantastic 
that people have been captured by this book. So it makes me think there's a very big audience for this book. I guess what I'll say is I'm holding myself accountable with it in that if I didn't have the receipts, you're right. The 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 evidence suggests this is a mass appeal book. I'm going to submit to the court <laughs> the, exhibit A. Um, but you know, if I had not known that, if I did not have the receipts, the score I would give it would be abroad, and I'm going to hold myself accountable <laughs> to that. Um, aka, you're stubborn and wrong and wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, it is hard to discuss too many details of this book without getting into spoilers. So I think we're going to have to hop over there pretty soon. But just kind of my final non-spoilery notes is this is a very fun engrossing book. Um, it's very, very interesting. It'll make you turn on your brain a little bit. Um very interesting cast of characters, not always likable. Maybe not all of them are reliable, um, but all of them I, I fell in love with a little bit. And I think it's so important to have a good balance in in books like this of characters that you're committed to, but also a story that is interesting. And, you know, as somebody who's been reading for a million years, you know, I get sometimes a little tired of like a competition trope and I was worried that this would feel like that for me that I would just feel a little dragged down by the you know that only five will make it into the society but I was pleasantly surprised that I never felt that way that's a really good point that I never really that I didn't really think about is when you think of that trope you think of things like I mean I'm gonna go with science fiction but you think about things like Mars rising or or Red Rising. You think, well, you think of books like Red Rising, mm. Ender's Game to an extent, um, The Hunger Games. This is not like that at all. Like at no. all. No. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in the spoiler section. See you there. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Okay, I just want to clarify really quickly in the spoiler section. I sure. really liked this book. Yeah. I feel like I may have undersold that with some of my <laughs> with some of my my comments about the story. I really really liked this book I and could it's tell really you were what gonna, I wanted. Yeah, I could tell you were going to love this book. Yeah. Like from the minute I heard the synopsis and then I barely started reading it and I was like, "Oh, Scott's going to love this." I mean, like it was, it was, I don't know if it was the point that I was in the week that I read this book or what. Like, I almost started looking for reasons to not like it. Is that weird? That's very weird. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I've just was feeling curmudgeonly as I was reading this book. <laughs> and, you know, um, Ooh, I'm gonna have trouble with names. It just I, to I, me. I think I've got them all right here. Uh, the, 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 um, the sexual, the sexual character. Parisa. Parisa. For example, Parisa. My initial reaction is my and and I will say before I even say this, I was proved absolutely wrong and is one of my favorite characters. But my first reaction to Parisa was, "Oh, cool. A, you know, a, a sexually explicit character who uses her body to get her way. Not my favorite trope in the world." 
Parisa is my is is I think my favorite character. Right. Um, she is yes. so complex and powerful. Yes. And strong. And I way to take a trope that you know has maybe been twisted in ways that are not really the the healthiest in my opinion, and make it just one of the best representations ever. No, I agree. Um. Uh, a lot of these characters, they might seem reminiscent of a trope, but they are not tropes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they they actively do not want to be a trope. But though Parissa doesn't want to be one, she doesn't want to be stereotypical. She doesn't also like give a fuck what you think. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, absolutely. You know, because there are characters in the book who kind of have shied away from their powers, right? And there's nothing wrong with with her recognizing what her strengths are, right? What her what her where her power lies, right? It's, and embracing it. It would be um, derivative, I think, to say, well, she's a seductress, and that's all she is. She's much more complicated than that. She does not think of beauty as meaning anything and she actually says that in the book she's like everybody's impressions of beauty are formed by you know cultural and societal stereotypes and standards like she knows that she has a magic that is very intimate (laughs) which that word always makes me giggle but it's not just intimate because of like intercourse but because she actually can walk around in someone's head like it's the real world and I think, like, with all of these powers, but especially with hers, that comes great responsibility. Yeah. And it's hard to have a quote-unquote normal life and normal relationships when you have influence over people. And there's a, there's a, and this goes throughout so many of the powers in this book, there's a terror in that responsibility and kind of the, the, you know, a lot of the characters don't care about that responsibility, you know. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that, but the, the what I what I mean is is yeah. I I don't know if I agree with that either. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Imagine, right? You know, imagine a world where someone can read your every thought. Imagine a world where someone, well, first of all, where you have magic, but where someone can see through everything that you do, everything that anything does, or a world that, or or you know, in in that in that same world, there's someone else. Who knows every feeling that you're feeling? There's a lack of there's there's a loss of privacy. There's a loss of majorly, and and that's really scary. It's terrifying. And I you know I think when it comes to, you know it's not the only thing, but we've compared it to the magicians. That kind of that kind of um, horror that would come from that level of power and that kind of magic. Is very real. It's reminiscent of the old phrase, who watches the watchman. Mm-hmm. And so then you have the society, the Alexandrians here, who are like, they take this stance of kind of, and it's said in the book, kind of empire over democracy. And their rivals is the forum, which the forum was a place, and they speak of this, of shared ideas and discussion and learning and growing as a people. Whereas the society says, no, 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 this knowledge is privileged and the masses cannot get a hold of it. So you kind of, it's very interesting because I so far can't agree with either one's stance completely. Um, 
I think they're both right and I think they're both wrong. And then, of course, there's this whole thing that they say it and we love this phrase from Once Upon a Time, all magic comes with a price. It does, you know? So it's like, and, and in the society, the price is a sacrifice. That's really heavy stuff to accept. But when you have literally the entire world's knowledge at your fingertips, what do you, what do, you do? When you have more than the world's knowledge at your fingertips. That's true. You know things that nobody else on earth Ha- knows or has ever known. Yes. I mean, they've discovered ways to destroy entire worlds, right. to terraform entire worlds, and they have they, you know, make the decision to hide that, to squirrel it away for possibly forever because they feel that the world is not ready for that. Oh my god, it's like Wakanda. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Um so let's touch on some of the other characters a little bit. Reina I have so much compassion for Reina. First of all, she's a big fan of Greek mythology. Well, it's not mythology in this world. She's a big fan of the Greeks and especially of Circe, who is my goddess. And I love her. So it's very much like I instantly felt a connection with her. And I love that. I love that the plants talk to her. I get why it feels uncomfortable and needy. I love how every plant calls oh, her mother. super needy. But it's also, you know, there's a part in the book where she says, the world wants to take from me, so I'm going to take from it. And you really see, you really see her. I have a lot of compassion for all the characters, but I was like, I can see that when everything, every living thing in the world is like crying out to you, you could easily swing the pendulum the other way and be like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing the taking. Yeah. I'm taking control of this situation. I'm not here for everyone else's, um, I'm not here to, to exist as everyone else's battery, which is why I think it's so, which is why I think it's so great that she, you know, she trusts, um, she trusts Verona particularly so much and, you know, gives her power, allows her power to be used uh, to strengthen the magic that they're creating. Right. And, you know, the, I, I really, we talked about in, the, in in a previous section about this not being like the Hunger Games. Right. And mainly it's because they're expected and required to work together the whole time. You know, while in competition, while in competition, and definitely the expectation is that you know, as we find out, they have to kill one of they have to kill one of them, mm-hmm. sacrifice, and none of them really get along the whole time, with the exception of Verona and Reina. Yeah, they they bond over sparring pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Colum, who could easily. And for most of the book, you just think of him as kind of an antagonist, kind of a villain. But he represents what all of these characters go through, which is like, yeah, you have your magic. You go to magic college and you, you know, learn about your thing. But nobody can really understand what these guys do besides people like Alexandrians. So he says at one point, he kind of, you know, pours his heart out and he says, I feel, I feel immensely, but I must by necessity do it differently than other people. I cannot imagine the exhaustion of knowing everyone's emotions all the time. And how do you even separate what yours are and what others are? I don't know. Yeah. Um, And he comes off, you know, as kind of an asshole, but... (sighs) 
he's not really. It's he has to have a shell to survive, though. Mm -hmm. And so I did end up having a lot of compassion for him by the end. Do you think he actually cared about Tristan or do you think he was using him the whole time? Well, I mean, that's the thing is he's a little bit unreliable because, I mean, he and Parissa both influence people. And are almost in competition over it. Right. Not almost. Yeah. Are in clear competition over it. I almost, where I'm at right now is I almost think it's more like Colin can't help himself. Mm. I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can turn it off and exactly, and especially if you're looking for allyship, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, you know, because it's very hard for him to, I think, be in any sort of a normal relationship. And I appreciate that conversation that he had about how he feels deeply, because there's definitely a um, there's definitely a lot of similarities to the way that he acts and behaves to antisocial behavior disorder. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't it's think different. He means it. Yeah. But, it's di- but it is different, and I like that that separation is made. I'm sure that the author took inspiration from that. Right. Uh, but it, it, I think it is important that he's not, he, he's very definitively defined as that it's a totally different. Right. Right. It, there is no, there is no real uh, analog to what he is like because no one has ever dealt with what he deals with 24-7. Correct. And so for both him and Parissa, there's this question of morality that comes up because they realize from very young ages that they could influence people. And you can see how when you're kind of young and don't know any better, that you could do a lot of damage and really, really hurt people. And that is very powerful. I mean, you can tell someone to end their own life and they will do it. The difference that I will say between Callum and Parissa, however, is that Callum's manipulation of people almost feels flippant. Mm. Whereas, uh, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily def- defending her, but Parissa's is has more intention behind it. It has more reason. She doesn't even necessarily always know what the reason is, uh-huh. but she has an instinct of when it's imp- when she feels it's important for her to you know to manipulate someone and get the information from someone whereas Callum it just seems instinctual to him to just flippantly control those around him yeah but i just i don't think it's flippant hmm. i don't i think it's i think it's very difficult for him um let's talk about tristan tristan kind of turns out to be almost our romantic hero in this book. Um, Respect, yeah. I think it's really funny how he falls for Libby. Um, It's kind (laughs) of cute. Uh, He's kind of cute. That's an interesting way to describe the particular scene. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, he really becomes kind of infatuated with her, right? And and clearly that existed before Parissa got involved. Yes. It was already there and she just... Nudged it. it. Yeah, she like give it a little nudge. Yes. Um, he's an interesting character. I I get his, you know, his trope, like we're talking about all kind of have their tropes, is he's got like something to prove, you know, like with his with his background and everything. Um to himself. Yeah. But his power is again one that is very hard. It hurts your brain if you think about it too much. Like there's um actually a pretty good descriptor of it, if I may. 
Einstein himself, surprisingly not a Median, almost certainly a witch though, had said there was no reality at all except in the relations between systems. What everyone else was seeing, illusions, perceptions, interpretations, was not an objective form of reality, which meant that, conversely, what Tristan could see was. <laughs> he could see, in some sense, reality itself, a true unbiased state of it. But the closer he looked, the fuzzier it got. It's still blows my mind. I get, I like, I get it, right? But I don't. It, it's impossible to to wrap your head around it. It is. I mean, I do love the 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 idea that reality is relative. It's different for everybody. But it, it's mind boggling to think if that's the case, somebody who can who actually sees unobjectively, right? Reality. That's a. That's a not, lot. Not unobjectively, objectively, reality. That is a lot to take in. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. And then you imagine how he feels. Um, it's kind of cool when the connection starts to get made for all of us, when the uh, the assassins come and, you know, like they, he and Libby working together kind of realize like, so that's what you're seeing, and that's what I'm seeing. And she basically has his, has him use her like a Gatlin gun. Are you right? <laughs> um, let's talk about the pair. Libby and Verona. Libby and Verona. Is it bad? Is it bad that I want an enemies to lovers here? I was expecting one. I was shocked that there wasn't one. They, and a love was, triangle? It was set up so strongly from the beginning that that was exactly what this was going to be. And a love triangle with them and Tristan? I'm, 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 I would be really here for it. <laughs> I, I was honestly here for it because I like both of them and their banter is... Hilarious. Perfect. Chef's kiss. I was also delighted that that's not the direction that it went. Now, if it does end up going that way, you know, in the next book, fine. I'm still here for it. Yeah. Uh, but I like the way that that subverted my expectations. I agree. And that's, again, more times where where the stereotype, the trope is kind of blown wide open because Libby should be, you know the perfect a student the girl the you know that has everything together and she actually has um real struggles with an anxiety disorder which i thought was really well described and she's not she's not just fluff and it's like people just want to be like oh she's just the nerdy fluff is where she would fit in you know she'd be kind of the hermione you know yeah it but it's she's actually much deeper than that much more complicated than that um you know she has this whole thing with her sister and she really wants to have um a resolution with that that she doesn't have yet. She has the anxiety. Um, she's really smart and she is badass and she's pretty damn fearless. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing, Verona, <laughs> Nico. He should be the pampered, spoiled, handsome, rich boy that everybody just loves and everything's so easy for him. But he actually cares deeply and emotionally about his friends he's incredibly loyal and he's basically doing this of course there's some self-service in it but he's basically doing this to try to help a friend mm -hmm. and um i love that they are two sides of a coin and i don't i wonder if that was some sort of divine intervention 
that they found each other or what? I don't know. Well, with with as we discover, so many machinations and control being put over all of the events of the story, I wouldn't be surprised if it was arranged a very specific way for them to meet. Right. Um, and they dislike each other, but on paper, they really don't have any reason to dislike each other. No, they just they've they've been set up their entire, you know, high school college college. yeah they've been set up their entire college career to be adversaries yeah which ends up working to both of their favor because it gives them someone to compete against they both recognize they wouldn't be as powerful as they are as knowledgeable and as good as they are without the other if they didn't weren't chasing each other yeah through school the whole time because if it was just one of them there they would have been the golden child of the school now let us turn to the final act of the book. I love it. I love that Ezra is this much bigger character in the moving and shaking of this plot. He has had a very interesting experience that I think has affected his mental... (laughs) his mentalness a lot more than he even realizes because he he's actually old but not old right and he's he's, not old but he's been but he's been alive for a long time and he's missed a lot of the um rites of passage and normal life stuff that happens to a young person um so it's made him kind of imbalanced and he's kind of going on and on about how evil his former best friend atlas is and i'm kind of like i don't know if i fully believe him Mm -hmm. and clearly he has kidnapped libby that which is so wrong so i really like the premise behind that and i like the idea and his the way that his kind of time travel if you want to call it that is developed and there is there is a hint to it at a point mm-hmm. when Tristan is looking, you know, basically into time. And they run into each other. And they run into each other. I'm like, wait, Ezra? They're both in a nexus. Yeah. So like that was the point when it's like, oh, okay. So Ezra is something. Yeah. What I a don't gr- know. what a great way to introduce that to us too. It was okay. Ah. I thought it I thought it was fun, but I didn't feel like there was enough setup for that. There wasn't enough. Uh, I, 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 there wasn't enough given to me until basically, uh, you know, Ezra's monologue towards the end that set up Atlas as this mastermind evil character. Which again, maybe he's not. Maybe it may be more not. complicated than that. Um, there wasn't enough setup for Ezra being ultimately the big bad the mover and shaker but that's the thing is i don't think it needed a setup because i think the twist of it was brilliant i think that we were like okay he works in kind of a regular job it's a good job he works in a regular job he got through the academy blah 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 blah, blah. like and so he, he seems like just kind of her dippy boyfriend and verona doesn't like him and But it turns out he completely knew what Libby was getting into. Mm -hmm. He played it so straight for months. And lo and behold, he has this huge connection. And 
strong vested interest. And like now he's, you know, against his former best friend. He helped create this plan and now he doesn't want to do it anymore. Uh, wh- I thought it was a great twist. I it, it took me by complete surprise. I knew when he and Tristan found himself out there wandering and they, they ran into each other. I knew then, obviously, there's a little more to Ezra than meets the eye, but I love a good, you don't see it coming from anywhere twist. Because like we've often said, we see a lot of plot things coming because we read a lot of books. Didn't see this one coming. And I love that. She fooled me. I didn't see it coming. And, and, and I don't I don't know if I want to say that, that that really is the problem that I have with it. Ultimately, the way that I felt in the final act is there was there was a build up to okay who are they going to kill um who are they going to choose how is it going to happen and i expected it not to go according to plan of course and there is this build up and then like suddenly nothing goes to plan uh libby disappears and then it just kind of and you find out oh there's a twist and then it just kind of says and we'll figure out what happens next story i didn't feel a, i didn't feel that the climax actually came to a large moment. I felt that the biggest climax, the biggest like climax and relief of the book happens very near the beginning. And it's when it's when they're actually attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of scene that I would expect at the end of a book, at the end of, of, of an individual book that I didn't feel that this landed. I'm not trying to convince you, but I'm 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 encouraging and I'm hopeful that you can see it from my point of view of she took the tropey story of the dark academia magic competition school and completely flipped it on its ear. And I think that is very exciting, very cool, and she's a hoodwinker. Olivia Blake is a hoodwinker. She hoodwinked us all. I do think it is very cool. And I, I doff my cap to her. I think it's awesome that she took all of these stereotypes and she just said, you know what? Let's throw those out the window. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. And I'm very excited for the next book. I don't know if I'm team Atlas or I'm team Ezra. I don't know if I'm team society or forum. Um, I, I love all the characters and yet there's stuff I don't like about all of them, which is fine because that's like how it's supposed to be. Everything is so complicated and I just, I just, I just want to see our, our six be happy. Yeah. And I want to know if I'm supposed to trust Ezra or Atlas. I don't know if we're going to see the six be happy. I don't think it's that kind of a story. I want them to. I know I do too. Because I care about them. Also, everybody loves this little little bit at this little Easter egg here. Ezra smiled as Atlas would have shrugged. <laughs> get out. Get out. I highlighted that as well. Oh, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant book. What a captivating journey. And I can't wait to see where it goes. Excellent book. Um, I am going to give it a... Yeah. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it five out of Atlas's six. <laughs> uh, I think I really cannot emphasize enough. I really was obsessed with this, and I am totally prepared and expecting for the second book to give me what I'm looking for in this. 
Um, just because the ending didn't go according to how I'm accustomed and according to how I how I was thirsty for doesn't mean that it was bad. But um, but for my own subjective score, I'm taking one of his six away. <laughs> um, I'm giving it five uh, out of Atlas's six, but I really hope in the end all six make it through. <laughs> Okay, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sandra. I'm Scott. Please keep reading past your bedtime. Acamid- I don't know that word. Academia? No. Can I see it? Academicians. Excuse me? <laughs>